When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, do you know what it is? I think I do. You think you do? Let me just tell you what it is. Well, I won't tell you. This will. I think I think that's it. That was exciting. I had shivers up my spine. It is a goodly morning. Goodly morning to you and goodly morning to all the listeners. Yes, goodly morning to everybody listening and uh, to all the people who were imploring us to do the podcast last night because uh, they just wanted to talk about this and enjoy this game and enjoy this win. Sometimes it's a Sunday, but more often than not, we're going to be doing it Monday mornings. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's not going to be an enjoyable podcast because there was so much to like about yesterday. You know, beating Manchester United at any point is always good, but mm. I, I think there was there was plenty going on yesterday for us to get our teeth sunk well and truly into today. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I was buzzing last night. I couldn't do the podcast because I was basking. I was basking in the glory uh, oh. of the Tuna winner. Oh, I thought you were, for a second, I thought you said you were busking. I thought this was a, <laughs> a career sideline. You were, you know, taking was... yourself down to Camden <laughs> Tube Station and standing outside singing Wonderwall. With a guitar, just singing Tottenham Hotspur, we're coming for you, while people <laughs> threw money at me. Delighted. No, I, uh, I, I really enjoyed the win yesterday. I've sort of been drinking it in you know watching every possible form of highlights uh, I think the reason it's so nice is partly that where it falls in the season it feels like there's less time for us to kind of screw it up from this point uh, so it feels bigger almost yeah I get that too and also because we're going into a, a long domestic break it's April 1st before we play again in the Premier League so you know going yeah. into this break on the back of that good result you know coming as well off the back of uh, the game against Wren which was disappointing for, for various reasons which we spoke about on the, on the podcast on Friday but I think it was not only hugely important for our chances of finishing in the top four and for what it means for the rest of the season, putting a bit of a, uh, a stop to Manchester United's momentum, all of those things. I think just for our own sanity and peace of mind and for everybody's peace of mind, the fact that we've gone into this break now on the back of this good win, I think is, uh, I think it's important because, you know, the last thing we needed was two and a half weeks or three weeks of just like, oh, what might have been? What might have been or what if or, you know, what the fuck was that? More importantly, uh, you know, it's great that we have this uh, this this positive way of, of signing off for a couple of weeks. 
Yeah, and I'm sure maybe we'll get onto it later, but obviously it, it, it's a big boost ahead of Thursday in our Europa League mm. campaign. You know, we've got a huge task there and I wouldn't have liked to go into that off the back of a dispiriting result. And it's also just one that I think, you know, come the, the ultimate reckoning in the league table in May, it feels like it will have a, a big impact. I mean, it's a six-pointer, isn't it? It's one that's really aided our position in the battle for Champions League places. So, yeah, it's all in all... It's a, a really good day. And it was a really, really thrilling game to watch as well. Sure was. I like that. The Ultimate Reckoning. That could be the title of the film that that little <laughs> uh, film trailer intro was. Yeah. The Ultimate Reckoning. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. No, it was. It was very exciting. And there was a lot because um, what I tend to do after a game is read over the live blog again. Mm. You know, because when you're watching and you're live blogging, you know, it's not that you miss things, but you then need to go back and look at it all in the context in which it happened and it gives you a nice chronological view of the game and, and how exciting it was. And there were lots of oohs in the live blog yesterday. The first real ooh, uh, I know there was one from a Kalasinac cross, but, you know, Lukaku missing in, in the ninth minute, uh, a chance that he really should have scored, I think, uh, which had a big impact considering how soon afterwards we scored the goal. But let's come to that in a moment. Let's start with the team selection and... I I have to say, at no point did I consider the idea of Unai Emery starting Aaron Ramsey, Mesut Ozil, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and Alexandre Lacazette in the mm. same team. Uh, it just didn't occur to me that he would do this, uh, which is probably why it should have occurred to me that he might do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it almost felt like we weren't allowed, just didn't it? You know, it, I've kind of broken those players into pairs in my mind, mm. tag teams, and seeing them all out there at the same time, kind of blew my mind. I mean, it's the first time since the end of September, I think, that they've all played together and only the fifth time since Aubameyang uh, joined the club that we've seen them all in tandem, which is particularly surprising given mm. that they had all of the end of last season too. But I think it was uh, a really interesting lineup. I was actually in the car with my wife and I was driving and I was, and I asked her to sort of list the names. I said, I want to go on Twitter, see what Arsenal have said the team is. She listed the names and I was like, no, 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 you've got to do it again. I think you've got something wrong. <laughs> uh, I and I couldn't figure out what that 11 was based on just the names alone. But once you put it into place as a, a kind of 3-5-2, you could kind of see the logic, but it was very ambitious. I mean, Ramsey, he's only played that deep midfield role once and I think it was against Blackpool. Um, so it was a, a very attacking lineup, two centre forwards, Urzel behind. It, you know, I think it was clearly set up to say, well, look, Manchester United have been blisteringly good going forward, but maybe a bit more vulnerable at the back. And we've got players who, when we do have the ball, we can hurt yeah. them. And I think that's, I think people were probably really pleased to see that from Unai Emery because if there's something he's been criticised for this season, maybe conservatism in his lineups is is one of the top things. Absolutely. And, you know, I think yesterday on the evidence of the game and the chances that Manchester United had, we, we saw a team that still isn't particularly good defensively, right? And I think, mm. I'm not trying to uh, piss on anyone's parade here, but I think you have to look at the chances that they had and we can talk about Bernd Leno in a, in a while and how good he was and what a contribution he made. But what kind of alleviates that or offsets that is the fact that we said, fuck it, 
we're brave, we're going to go for it with four really good attacking players. We're going to give them Kalasinac as well on the left-hand side, who was going to be always uh, more of a, an attacking threat than Maitland-Niles on the other side, simply because you know so much of what we do uh, goes down that left-hand side with Kalasinac when he's in the team. So I enjoyed the bravery of the team selection, or maybe just the admittance that, okay, we're not that good defensively, we'll play a three, we'll play with a, a couple of wing-backs or, or you know, whatever way you want to describe the roles that they had, whether they were in a four in midfield or or whatever, but, uh, you know, get our strikers on the pitch and cause them problems at the back where they're not particularly good. And I think people could maybe live with, I mean, I'm not saying we should uh, live with it forever, uh, but they can live with defensive instability if you're also having a go at the other end and showing some ambition and some faith in players who are very, very good attacking players. Aubameyang, Ozil, uh, Lacazette, Ramsey, they can all make a contribution there. And I think it's fair to say that Ramsey's contribution yesterday wasn't so much in the attacking side of things, but the the sheer distance that he covered in midfield, I think he mm. ran nearly 13 kilometers. He won eight out of nine tackles. And for a player who is primarily known for his runs into the box and his desire to score goals, that just showed you what kind of a, a professional... Uh, committed performance he put in in the role that he was asked to do yesterday from from Unai Emery. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was you know uh, an atypically disciplined performance from Ramsey and the kind of thing that you know we've been crying out for from him a lot of the time during his time with the club. You know, as one of those deeper midfielders. I mean, Orbino of Opta said that only Lucas Torreira with nine has made more tackles in a single game for Arsenal this season. I wow. thought. He was really excellent and we have seen Shaka and Ramsey work as a midfield partnership and it has almost exclusively worked with a back three behind them. Uh, and in fact, it was pretty key to that run to the FA Cup yeah. you know, when we beat Chelsea and City along the way. And this was a reminiscent of, of that period. I thought Ramsey was disciplined. I thought he dropped deep to take the ball off the defence. Uh, he just, it's bizarre, you know, for someone who's leaving the club, sometimes that can kind of unleash a bit of a selfish streak in a player. But I think we've seen sort of new levels of selflessness from him, really, in terms of what he's prepared to do for the team tactically, in terms of how he's willing to kind of show no ego and accept a role on the bench when he has to. Um, I've been so impressed by him. And, you know, there's a lot of debate about Ramsey and what his legacy at Arsenal is, but I think the class with which he is leaving Mm. and with which he's performing on the pitch will go a long way towards securing that legacy. Yeah. Uh, I I remember saying on this podcast, I never really had any doubt in Aaron Ramsey, you know, when it was... Uh, you know, decided that he was leaving, or even when we all suspected he was going to leave, I never, I never doubted that he would put in the effort or be anything other than completely professional, because that's just the the kind of guy that he is. And I think it was yeah. interesting yesterday as well. A word for Granit Xhaka, who again is not somebody who is known for his defensive work. It's it's an area of his game which has been hit and miss in the past. But yesterday, you know, you think about that block he made just before half time, where he picked up yeah. a bit of an injury on. Ashford, not only was he there in the right place at the right time to make the challenge, he made the challenge, he made it well, and I think he deserves real credit yesterday for what was a, a particularly good performance, especially off the back of a very frustrating one against Wren in midweek. Yeah, and just mentioning Wren there, it's kind of intriguing. I wonder whether Ramsey would have started this game in central midfield were it not for the fact that, obviously, Lucas Torreira was mm. suspended, but also... 
maybe the performance of Matteo Guendouzi and Ren factored into Unai Emery's thinking. I, I just yeah. thought it was telling that he didn't even make it off the bench when he almost invariably does. I think he'd played in every Premier League game prior to that point or something close to it anyway. Uh, and it almost felt like maybe, you know, we saw Guendouzi switch off a couple of times in France that that might have prompted Emery to go with Ramsey's experience. And ultimately, I think that decision was vindicated. Yeah, it really was. So, look, the chance I mentioned earlier, Lukaku, they got a bit of space down the, the left-hand side. It was a cross into Lukaku. He should score yeah. there, right? He should. And, uh, you know, he goes for the sort of Ozil, doesn't he? It's into the ground and it, it comes up off the crossbar. Um, that was early in the game. And Luke Shaw mm. went past Ainsley Maitland-Niles so easily at that point. Yeah. It was a simple one-two and he was in behind him. And I'm sure, you know, this will be one of the talking points of the game. But in that first half, I was really worried for Maitland-Niles. Yeah. Uh, partly because United were playing with a four in midfield. Pogba was kind of pulling onto the left and he was his direct opponent with Shaw bombing on. And I thought he looked nervous. I thought he looked not great on the ball. And of course, the way he grew into that game almost from that point was one of the real highlights. Yeah, absolutely. That was as good a second half uh, performance as... As you'll see, you know, the there were times where Shaw went past him in the second half, but he got there and got back and won tackles. Mm. You know, it was really, really impressive for Maitland-Niles. You know, he hasn't always been convincing there uh, on that right-hand side. You know, the first half, like you, I was a little bit worried, um, but he deserves massive credit for for the second half that he put in, whether it was somebody took him aside at halftime and had a word or whether it was whatever it was. Uh, he was absolutely fantastic. And you might hope that that's a kind of performance which gives him confidence and belief in his ability to to play in that position. Because in midweek, it seemed as if Unai Emery didn't want to use him there because one of the two sensible changes we could have made after the sending off of Socrates was to bring Maitland-Niles on at right back or bring Kolasinac on and shift everyone across, um, you know, from the other side. Mm -hmm. He didn't do either of those things. I thought that was a bit surprising and maybe it's the kind of performance which will restore a bit of faith in the manager, in the player. Yeah, I've seen some people suggest maybe Maitland-Niles was being saved for Man United, but mm. we were in pretty dire need in Ren. And I think, you know, whatever the plan to save anybody was, uh, you know, I, I think we needed someone on the pitch at that point. And the fact that Maitland-Niles wasn't used kind of tells its own story. And again, a bit like Ramsey, maybe if Mkhitaryan was available. I mean, how amazing. We come out of this game, Mkhitaryan's been our best player for the last three weeks, arguably outfield. No one's mentioned him. Uh, you know, he wasn't in the squad due to, I think it was injury, wasn't it? And uh, mm. that probably massively influenced Emery's team selection too. Might have made him switch it up, go to the back three, bring him Maitland-Niles in. I just thought he really grew and grew into the game. And I, I mentioned this in my post-match video, but I think we maybe have been reading him wrong a little bit. Like everyone says about Maitland-Niles, he's so calm, you know, he seems so sort of placid on the pitch, you know, so at ease. And I wonder, I, I think maybe we're not looking at that right. He looks... To me, in the first half, he looked like someone who was a bit nervous and who grew into that game and sort of realised that he maybe found his level. And I think as much as his kind of inexpressive face and demeanour could be that he's incredibly cool, it could also be that he's just not quite comfortable, that he's, you know, an academy player who's grown up kind of, you know, in the ranks, who doesn't go on the pitch feeling like a star and feeling like he necessarily mm. belongs. And if anything, I really hope 
that that second half could be something that makes him feel like he belongs because yeah. he's a really, really useful player for our squad. And I know people want to see him nail down a position, but his versatility makes him incredibly valuable to us at the moment. And with Hector Bellerin out, he is the only guy we've really got who I've got any confidence in playing that right wing back slot. In terms of just the physical profile and the yeah. the, the way that Emery wants his fullbacks to work up and down the pitch. And, and, and being able to be effective at both ends of the pitch is exactly that. You know, I know we're a left-sided biased team, but I haven't actually looked at the, the chart, but I wouldn't be surprised if that bias was not quite as prominent yesterday. Mm. Uh, in fact, both our goals came from moves down the right-hand side. Uh, Maitland-Niles, I think, was involved in both. I think he gave it into Lacazette, who laid it off for Shaka, and then uh, it came down the right for Lacazette. Uh, Cazette when he was dribbling and, and won the penalty uh, and I thought there was more balance there I thought the absence of Iwobi was probably part of that too because it Ozil's someone who's going to drift left and right whereas often we're going through Iwobi on the left and I think you know if you have Lichsteiner on that flank if you have Jenkinson on that flank if you have Mustafi on that flank you are going to have massively that bias and going to be lopsided but Maitland-Niles at least gives you some yeah. some semblance of equality between the two flanks. I think the thing is as well is that whatever Ainsley Maitland-Niles wants to be in terms of a footballer and nailing down a position, what he's got right now is a chance to play semi-regularly at right-back or at right-wing-back. Mm-hmm. And he's got to take that chance, regardless of what he sees himself as in the future, you know? So, fingers crossed, this is a performance from which he can really kick on because uh, I think he showed something in that game that we haven't quite seen from him uh, often uh, in his admittedly short career at Arsenal so far. I mean, I think there was a game against Liverpool where he did very well against Mo Salah, but, you know, there was something something a bit extra about what he did yesterday, so... Uh, yeah. Let's hope he can he can take uh, all the benefits from that. So let's talk about the first goal. Um, wh- where do you stand on this in terms of it being a goalkeeping mistake versus not a goalkeeping mistake? I mean, I- I've watched it in real time. When I watched it, I went, "What the fuck is the keeper doing there?" But the mm. more I watch it, the more I kind of have. I'm not saying sympathy for David de Gea, but I kind of understand why he didn't get anywhere near it because it was going one way and then literally just went a yard the other way as he was moving to collect the ball, which is why it looked, I think, a lot worse than it was for the keeper. I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily be happy if my own goalkeeper conceded that, but I've watched it a number of times this morning again and I, I, I do think that he was just completely wrong-footed by a weird, weird swerve on the ball. Yeah, I uh, when I, I was at the other end of the pitch behind the other goal and when I saw this hit the net, I just assumed there'd been a deflection. Yeah. Because it was one of those kind of freak goals that you're like, oh. And especially with David Hare between the posts, you know, you expect him to, to deal with something like that. I, I look at it through the prism of how would I feel if my goalkeeper conceded that goal mm-hmm. and I think I would probably come down pretty hard on him. Um, simply because when a left-footed player hits the ball from that range, kind of slightly off the outside of their boot, I feel like it's only ever really going to swerve that direction. And I don't... I know it swerves quite late. I know it doesn't really move until sort of the penalty spot, but De Gea sort of takes a step kind of the other way and I can't... I can't fathom why he does that. I think he just misjudges it. I think Um, he's... I'm just looking at it here again. I genuinely think he thinks Jack is like going for the near post... Right. I think that's what he thinks. And then uh, here it is again. I'm watching. I mean, it really is a weird 
it doesn't look it from some of the angles, but here's the angle from behind Jacker, and he hits it, and then all of a sudden it just sort of dips. It's weird, almost like he kicked a burst ball. You know the way that can happen sometimes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something like a it bit... bursts in midair. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah almost. And... Yeah, I mean, look, like you, if, if my goalkeeper concedes that, I'm a little bit uh, unhappy with him. But the more I see it, the more I think it was just a weird... A weird shot. I don't know if Shaka could do that again in a hurry, you know? Um, yeah. I'm not sure when he hits it, he thinks, I know, I'll hit it. And it's going, it's going, looks like it's going that direction. Then around the penalty spot, it's going to, you know, suddenly divert and change. I think he, you know, he goes for power and he goes for swerve. And it could to be, a certain extent, he yeah, gets a bit of luck. But I mean, yeah. that's it always is when you shoot from... 30 yards, you know, you need a bit of that if it's going to go in. Isn't that the way that, um, you know, these free kicks that some yeah. some of the guys take, that I think they kick the ball on the valve, is it? I don't quite know where, uh, how they do it. I don't know if it's how you kick the ball or where on the ball you kick. Um, but it, yeah, I think it was a little bit freaky, but look, you know, let's not, let's not worry and let's not complain about it too much. Um, I saw Unai Emery say after the game, he was like, we know Shaka has a good shot from range and he should do this more. And I was like, be careful what you wish for, Unai. <laughs> <laughs> we might see a lot more shots from 30 or 40 yards now. But uh, yeah, look, I thought Shaka was um, was really good, really, really good on the day. And he, he deserved his goal. And I think that intervention that he made in his own penalty box was almost as valuable, really. Yeah, it sure was. So, uh, you know, we're 1-0 up and first goal has such a big impact on the game it could have been United's yeah. uh, instead it was it was ours uh, but you know United were there they were causing us some problems Fred hit the post uh, mm-hmm. Leno had to make the first of a number of good saves down at the feet of Lukaku when Lukaku was he just monstered through our, our defence didn't he he was brushed off Koscielny yeah. and Monreal uh, I think it was very very good goalkeeping as well that's um, a brilliant save. Brilliant save because he sort of goes to ground and then almost kind of lifts his body again to make the stop. It's uh, it's it's a really 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 good save from Leno and like you say the first of several. Yeah, uh, that block from Xhaka just before half time. You know you do not want to concede at that point in the game, and I think it just epitomised the the collective effort the the way that this team was switched on to defend and to try and make sure that United didn't have moments of of real danger. You know, I'm not sure it necessarily all worked as well as we might have liked. You know, I felt particularly in the latter stages of the first half and the early part of the second half that United had a bit too much room in midfield uh, Mm. for my liking. And I think early on in the second half, there was a moment where Leno again... Uh, he snuffed out the danger because Lukaku, I think Socrates had stepped up and Lukaku was in behind. Had Leno not read the game and come out and kicked it away, you know, we would have we would have possibly conceded a goal there as well. So it wasn't all perfect, but what was unquestionably um, spot on was everybody's awareness and concentration and ability to. You don't always want to be defending last ditch, but when you have to, make sure you're in a position to do it. And I don't think we were we were really caught out there um, throughout yeah. that game. I think there were some great last ditch interventions from all three of the centre halves, from uh, Shaka, who we mentioned. I thought Ramsey worked hard defensively. Uh, Leno, obviously, we've spoken about, and I thought there was a real focus 
to the kind of defensive aspects of our game. I mean, we talked about Maitland-Niles and one of the benefits he had was he had uh, Socrates next to him and all through the game, certainly when they were playing in front of me, Socrates was talking to him, giving him literal pats on the back after anything positive. And, you know, after his sending off in the week, I thought he responded well when he was booked. It was I nothing. That... It was a nothing. Was it? I have not seen one. it again, actually. It's just, it's it's sort of like the one that he got against Wren in that he slid in. Uh, I don't think he really touched Pogba this time. I think the one against Wren was perhaps a bit more cynical. So I think he was quite unlucky to get booked there. And considering what happened in midweek, he must have been yeah a little bit aware of it. But I thought he managed his game very, very well considering he, he was on a yellow card. Exactly that. I mean, United did still create chances and I feel like... <laughs> Sometimes when we play these big teams, we sort of have to accept that's almost certainly going to happen. I know we played Chelsea and they didn't have a striker on the pitch and it was a bit of a different thing. But, you know, United have been flying. They were always going to create chances. And I, I do think it's possible that we could be sitting here talking about another result. You know, these are very, very fine margins. Ultimately, yeah. I think our goalkeeper massively outperformed their goalkeeper and that made a massive impact on the final score. But... It almost doesn't matter. You know, when these matches are so close, so finely decided, they become kind of cup finals. And and the implications of this were kind of cup final-esque. And you don't care, really, do you? I mean, you want to see a good performance, but ultimately the result is is king in these situations. Absolutely. And then, you know, you you do have to say that if your goalkeeper is the guy who has kept the score, uh, kept a clean sheet and made a big contribution to that, then... You can look at it two ways, I guess. One is like, should they have had that many chances, or or should they have the ha, had had the quality of chances that they had? But if they did, and you've got a player who works or plays very well, you know, it's like a striker converting three out of his four chances, and you'd say the the striker had an amazing game and he was key to winning it. You know, of course, and a goalkeeper has pulled off uh, some incredible saves, um, brave saves as well. So he deserves the plaudits for for helping us to the to the three points, and you know that save from Lukaku in the second half, early in the second half. Yeah, amazing. Is that the one with his leg? The one with his leg. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is a brilliant, brilliant stop, and it, you know, I think it was uh, Monreal pushed up, and maybe Koscielny was was left back in, and Lukaku's about six yards out, and he's been in great form. You know, brilliant goal scoring form of late. You know, you think it's nailed on, but Leno spreads himself and manages to nick it off the outside of his leg. It's a really, really important save. And we've been on the wrong end of brilliant goalkeeping performances against Manchester United several times, haven't we? Including, yeah, as much as people want to criticise David De Gea. Yeah. You know, I'm just looking at this save again here. Yeah, it's it's poor from Monreal. He steps out. he, He can't step out there. I tell you what, though, Lukaku takes a uh, a heavy touch on that ball as it comes into him. Right. And I think that saves us very slightly. Yeah, exactly. He's sort of on the stretch as he's taking the shot. So, um, yeah, Leno gets out and makes a big save. And that's actually where Koscielny got injured. Koscielny picked up an injury, which, you know, I think he'd a three-inch gash in his leg, which he got stapled together. In order to help him play on, which uh, you know really sums up the guy and what a what an impact he's had uh, since he's come back. I know he had that difficult game against Southampton, but you know it's amazing yeah. what he's doing. 
It's amazing, yeah. actually. I don't think he gets anywhere near enough credit for, for the level of performance that he's putting in at 33 years of age, coming back from, a, from a, uh, an Achilles tendon rupture, you know, which could easily have a, a hugely debilitating effect on a player much younger. So for him to come back and to, to find this level again, uh, I don't know what to say other than it's, it's brilliant. And, and playing big games in quick succession as well. You know, every few days he's playing at the moment. And I, I had, my heart was in my mouth at that moment because it was one of those where mm. the Arsenal players were waving the physios on, you know, like quick, quick, quick. And um, the referee kind of made a signal to the touchline that seemed to indicate maybe some sort of stretch would be required. So I was frankly shitting myself because <laughs> I don't like the idea of this defence without Lauren Koscielny at all. Um which, again, is just a compliment to what he's been producing. But you're right to say that we should, you know, we should be praising Leno here. He really made a massive difference. And all week there's been a lot of talk about XG related to Manchester United, mm. I don't know if you've followed this. Yeah, but yeah. People saying that essentially Solskjaer's team were kind of performing above what you would anticipate, a little bit like we were during our long, long unbeaten run. And there was, you know, eventually they'll kind of regress to something like the mean. And we saw some of that regression today. You know, they, their XG, I think, was like 2.7 or something like that from the game. Wow. Uh, you know, whereas ours was, even with a penalty, I think, less than that. Um, and a lot of the credit belongs to Bernd Leno. Um, yeah. I just thought, yeah. I mean, it was just a brilliant, brilliant performance from him. And he kind of, he's been growing and growing in the last few weeks and made that outstanding double save against Spurs. And I thought this was his most complete performance as an Arsenal goalkeeper for sure for sure it was uh, you know one of those where I think he's really cemented his place as as the number one and he's performing as well as any goalkeeper in the Premier League right now mm. for sure so uh, he, he deserves all the props for that he did make another good save at the feet of Rashford before uh, yeah. the game took uh, a good little twist uh, in Arsenal's favour so you know um, that was maybe around the hour mark where he, he made that save um, on Rashford and then in the well, about 68 minutes in we get a penalty what were your thoughts on that because I thought and looking at it again I think it's a penalty so in real time behind that goal I I was I thought it looked really soft I mean it looked to me like like I said just kind of sensed contact or not, not even contact but the presence of someone behind him and mm. gone to ground a bit not unlike Aubameyang at Spurs the week yeah. before. Um, uh, having seen it back on the replay, I can see why the penalty's been awarded. Uh, there's, you know, there's a push in the back and I think a thigh comes across as well. I still think it's soft, but I think anywhere else on the pitch, it's probably a foul. So there you go. Yeah, I think for me, nailed on penalty. Absolutely a nailed on penalty. You know, he pushes him in the back. It's quite sly. Um, and I think, like I said, just make sure that the referee can see it. I mean, for once, John Moss was there um, in the right position, uh, despite his uh, seeming unfitness. Um, mm -hmm. He's not the most athletic of referees, that's for sure. But I think it's a penalty. So... And credit to Lacazette as well, because that was not the only time in the game where he showed some really smart footwork to sort of create a bit of space and weave away from defenders. And again, I feel like that's something that we're seeing more of from him. You know, his game is becoming more rounded all the time. And that yeah. that sort of dribbling ability is, is part of that. Now, I have to say, I was hoping 
that Lacazette himself would be the man <laughs> to take the penalty. Yeah, me too. Um, or even Aaron Ramsey, who was sort of stood near the penalty spot. I thought, is he going to get involved here? So, yeah, I was, I was thinking either of those would be ideal for me. Right. And then we see Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang step up with the ball. He's obviously had a little moment with Lacazette. And I think it was quite interesting yesterday, wasn't it, that they were both really trying to, to help each other out. Um, there were a couple of moments where perhaps they could have been a bit more selfish individually, mm-hmm. but they were keen to do something which would G up the other the other player. Um, there was one on the edge of the box where I think Aubameyang could have had a shot, but he looked for Lacazette to try and play him in. And I think there's something nice about that. You know, they're both aware they didn't play very well against Spurs. And I think the the penalty miss and the performance against Spurs had, had an impact on Aubameyang's performance against Wren in midweek. So we know they're great mates. Uh, and I think there's something to be applauded about how they were really trying to work together to, to get each other back into form. The penalty itself, when he took it, James, I have to say I had confused thoughts. First and foremost, let me say, I was ecstatic that we'd scored, and I'm not taking anything away from that at all. And I do wonder if, you know, there's any point in discussing a penalty which goes in, you know, because it's gone in. Of course. However, (laughs) however, when he took the exact same penalty that he took against Tottenham, more or less, I, I was... I was a little bit sort of, what? 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 I mean, you haven't learned your lesson here in any way? What's what's going on? Why would you take the, the, the exact same kick, more or less, knowing that the timidity of that penalty last week is what allowed uh, Hugo Lloris to save it? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, what were your thoughts when you saw, A, him taking it, and B, the way he took it? I mean, do you think it's w- worth even discussing? I, there's something I'll explain to you in a minute, because he spoke about it on Sky, but, like, at the time, when it went in and the way it went in, was it just pure ecstasy for you, or was there a bit of, like, ooh, ooh? <laughs> I, I, think, uh, I think there was relief, but that relief was kind of part of the overwhelming feeling of ecstasy because at that point at 2-0 I sort of thought we're in the clear here we're going to be okay I agree that on first look that penalty doesn't look particularly emphatic um, <laughs> but anyway so tell, explain what you're going to explain well on Sky afterwards he was interviewed by Jamie Redknapp and Jamie Redknapp was asking him about the penalty and, and Aubameyang said look I made a mistake against Tottenham and the mistake I made was that as he was kicking it he looked at the ball and his technique is not to look at the ball at all, something which amazed Redknapp. He said, you're not even looking at the ball. And he goes, yeah, I know where the ball is. Jesus. Um, I'm paraphrasing a little bit there. But he said he was absolutely focused, and he obviously watched where De Gea was going and put the ball where De Gea wasn't. And he said this is something they practice in training all the time, taking those kind of penalties. You know, I guess everybody has their own technique. You know, Van Persie is going to stick it in the top corner with pace and power. Aubameyang's technique to score penalties is to watch where the goalkeeper goes and then kick the ball in the opposite direction. So, you know, there was some method to the apparent madness, if you like. Yeah, and, and that makes sense. I mean... That makes sense as to why he missed against Spurs and why he scored against United with similar technique because ultimately there was a sort of technical facet of it that was wrong. He didn't watch the goalkeeper properly against Lloris. Um, And to do so and hold your nerve like that against Man United, having missed one the week before, I think, you know, speaks to Aubameyang's coolness under pressure and his experience. And 
I, look, I'm really pleased that he put it away and I hope we get something like the Aubameyang we were seeing a few months ago back now because he has looked a little bit shy of confidence recently uh, and clearly what happened against Spurs affected him. Let's hope that Lacazette's generosity and this big goal kind of lift him out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Because we are going to need him in these final games of the season. And, and certainly on Thursday. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So it's very timely in that regard as well. Absolutely. Mm. You know, uh, and a big moment, I think, for him because uh, had he failed from the spot there, uh, you know, even if we'd gone on to win the game 1-0, for example, you know, you, you still feel like it might have had a really negative impact on him individually, you know. So sometimes players need moments like that to lift themselves out of, uh, out of, out of a slump. It put us 2-0 up. Were you feeling comfortable at 2-0 up? I, I was thinking, well, we're probably going to be OK at this point. I mean, as an Arsenal fan, there's always a nagging part of you that's never quite sure. But I just felt like that was a huge moment in the game. And having scored it, yeah, I, I started to relax and enjoy myself, which I, I'd be lying if I said I had done for the first 70 minutes. <laughs> uh, Emery made a couple of changes. He brought on Iwobi and Suarez, you know, some fresh legs at a time when, you know, United were going to try and A, uh, get a, get back into the game with a goal, but also probably leave a bit of space behind because they had to come mm. forward. And there was, a, there was a nice moment for Iwobi where I think a cross just took a nick off a defender, which meant it didn't quite come to I think it could have been Xhaka actually who was who was it following was Xhaka, it in. Yeah. yeah Xhaka our midfield marauder into the box um so you know the the substitutions worked and Eddie uh, and Ketia yeah all people it was a good a good little cameo for for Eddie and Ketia and I think maybe a little show of faith in him from Emery as well because you know I think it was 85 or 86 minutes but it was still 10 minutes because of you know the injury time that was going to be played you know, he's taking off a senior player in Lacazette who isn't going to play on Thursday anyway uh, and could have done the 90 minutes. Um, but he, he had some faith in Nketi and you know, he had a couple of nice moments too, didn't he? Yeah, and I do think that that might be an important moment for him in his development, a little bit of a show of faith, maybe a little bit of, I don't want to say repair, but it, it will help the relationship between the coach and the player because, of mm. course, Aubameyang came off in Ren, didn't he, for a midfielder. And Ketia was left on the bench. And there have been plenty of times this season where Nketiah might have got a run out and hasn't. So I think to bring him on against Manchester United in a big game like that will, will be a fillip for him. And it meant we finished the game with three academy players on the pitch, of course, with Iwobi yeah. and Maitland-Niles. And I do just have the sense that some of... Emery's decision-making in this game was maybe influenced by his unhappiness with things in the Europa League in France. You know, I mean, I mentioned Maitland-Niles not coming on. Mm. And Ketia, of course, didn't come on in that game. And I just felt like maybe their involvement was somehow tied to that, that maybe he was sort of saying, look, no one's guaranteed a place, even those sort of fringe members of my squad are important to me. Um, mm. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I do wonder. And it, look, it's... It, it was a, a really... I'm trying to think if there was any sort of big United chances in that last 10 minutes. There was a Rashford header. Um, oh, yeah. That was a good chance, actually. It was. That was in the 92nd minute. So I think he probably he probably should have done better in that situation, yeah. Rashford. You would expect him to do better, certainly. There were a few for Rashford yesterday, actually, where I thought he might have done better. Um, and we, we were a little bit lucky in that respect. I mean... Look, I said after the Spurs game and the Wren game, I thought we'd been a bit unlucky and I thought we had a bit of luck yesterday. And I do think 
sometimes that makes the difference. You know, we, we're talking about this, it's like you said about the penalty, you know, if a penalty goes in, we're, we're happy about it. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I know it's sort of stating the obvious, but this was a game that was kind of on a knife edge, really, and were it not for some efficiency at both ends of the pitch, particularly Bernd Leno, mm. we'd be talking about a different match, but we're not, and we won, and that's kind of everything. Yeah, and it's uh, it's been a very good weekend for us because, obviously, yeah. Tottenham lost... Uh, Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea drew. Um, Wolves, yeah. yeah, they will. I mean, they they grabbed a point right at the end. Uh, Azard scoring a, a goal in in injury time there, and obviously we've beaten United as well. So in terms of our top four chances, uh, you know, they, they've certainly increased because of uh, because of the way we've played this weekend, and and also the results that have that have gone our way. So all in all, you know, when you add to the fact that you're beating Manchester United, which is always a pleasure. Uh, it is a very good weekend and a good weekend for Emery as well because he, I think, got most things wrong when it came to the Ren game yeah, and how he managed that game, particularly after the, the sending off. Uh, I don't think any of his decisions were the right decisions and I know it's easy to say that in hindsight but that's the way it played out so I think there's something interesting about the way this team can respond you know we've had our setbacks this season we've had some poor results but generally speaking when we've needed to step it up in the next game or in a big game we've been able to do that yeah we have and this you know coming off the back of the Rens match is one where we really I think we needed something because we could have been staring. If we're looking at two defeats, we might have been staring at all our Champions League chances kind of going out the window. Mm. And the win means that I think from the games against the top six, Unai Emery's taken 12 points. Uh, Apparently the last time we got any more than that was in 2012. So it's a decent enough tally. And I think given that we were the sixth best team by some distance last season, I think for the most part, We've been competitive in these games. I know we had the big disaster against Liverpool away. But I think aside from that, I think Emery's done a pretty good job in these big matches. And I think he's he's tactically tweaked us from game to game and at least made us be competitive, which is I think it's easy to forget at times last season. It felt like we weren't. We were just kind of getting rolled over. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, this was, a, this was a real tough fight against United and it was closely fought, but we came out on top and I loved it I mean look there is I would have loved to win the derby but for me there's not even a huge distance between United and Spurs in terms of the enmity I feel towards them I think being sort of you know a child of the 90s and witnessing those (laughs) Fergie teams yeah yeah I love a win against Man U so I thoroughly enjoyed this one yeah absolutely absolutely it was uh you know it felt like a really big a big result and it felt like one of those where you know it's reasonable to have some doubts when you see us play the way we did against Ren or when we get beaten by Bate Borisov. And you can understand why people aren't necessarily uh, convinced at times by some of the stuff that we do. But, you know, like you say, in the big games this season, we've beaten Spurs at home. We've drawn to Spurs away and we should have won that game. That's the thing. I think there's a positive to take from the fact that we yeah. were in a position to win that game. I don't think we should have lost to Chelsea away. No, no, Uh, certainly not. um, United, you know, we scored twice at Old Trafford and conceded two stupid goals. You know, so um, the wins against United at home, Chelsea at home, Spurs at home. You know, consistency is the next thing, I guess. Um, And I think also maybe the players are now 
fully bought into this idea of we go game by game in terms of our tactical approach and how we prepare for games and how we set up for games and who plays. You know, I think there was a, a culture at Arsenal where we knew who was going to play every week, regardless of who we were playing, depending on fitness, we could more or less predict who was going to play, where they were going to play, how we were going to play. And you just cannot do that with Emery. You can't do it. And yesterday's team selection was a surprise. It was a brave move and it's one that paid off. And I think people are appreciative or, or yeah, maybe appreciative, but, but can really buy into a coach who's going to say, not necessarily go gung-ho, but like, okay, let's have a go here. Let's have a go, even if it's not necessarily the most solid lineup we could pick, but we've overloaded in the attacking area or we've given ourselves a really good uh, chance of of creating problems against the team who are defensively not that great. So rather than just focus on how we need to be defensively secure, we're looking to exploit their defensive weaknesses. And I think that was a positive thing from from yesterday. And maybe maybe it might illustrate or show Emery that this kind of approach is worth taking. You know, if you can do it against Manchester United, why can't you do it against you know, other teams when you go to Brighton away or Southampton away or, you know, we've got some tricky away games coming up where you think maybe, you know, it might be an idea to be cautious, but, you know, maybe also the reward is in uh, being a bit more ambitious. Yeah, I think especially when you've got a team that is so defensively vulnerable, it does make sense to lean into your attacking prowess. But I also think, you know, anyone wondering if, oh, we found the the blueprint now, we're going to see... This kind of team every single week, I think, is barking up the wrong tree. That's just not what you know, Emery, I think, is ever going to do. I think he is going to change it up by opponent. And this was a plan designed for Manchester United, and it and it worked. Um, but it does place us in a brilliant position. And we've got lots of questions about, you know, how this affects top four and how confident we are. But just looking at that league table and seeing us in there ahead of Manchester United and ahead of Chelsea with, what is it, eight games to go, uh, feels pretty good right now. Yep, it sure does. You know, it's uh, it's been quite an amazing swing when you consider how far Tottenham were ahead of us uh, a couple of weeks mm. ago, and now all of a sudden it's just a point. And if anybody's, you know, having a, an itchy bum right now, it's, it's Tottenham, uh, which is, I suppose, a good thing uh, that their new stadium is shaped like a toilet. So they can all, <laughs> they can all make uh, or take full advantage of that. I think we should take a break, though. Will we take a break? Unless there's anything else from the game or, or what have you that you want to talk about, we should take a break and do questions? No, yeah, let's do that. OK, we'll be right back after this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. 
United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter, at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog, on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. And if you're an Arsblog member on Patreon, you can ask questions on our Discord chat server, which uh, is available to you if you are uh, an Arsblog member on Patreon. So three platforms on which you can ask your questions. Just before we start, I should say that uh, we want to thank everybody who does send in questions. We get so many that it's almost impossible to get to them all. It is impossible to get to them all, but we do read them and we really, really do appreciate them. So keep them coming. And, uh, you know, that's well, that's it, basically. I just want to say thank you uh, yeah. for that. So I uh, mean, it, it makes this second part a lot easier, doesn't it? I've, you know, we've it, run out of stuff to say to each other, to be honest. So exactly. Yeah. We need your prompting. Yeah, you're, you're, you're a big part of all this. So mm. do you want to start? Well, this isn't actually a question, but it's just a comment from Will Arnold Foster, Forster, sorry, Will Arnold Forster on Facebook, who just said, mm. silver lining, if Danny Rose had been sent off for the studs in Leno's chest in the North London derby, then he wouldn't have been on the pitch to let the ball roll through his legs for Southampton's opener on Saturday. Just a nice <laughs> thought. Fair enough. I didn't see that, actually. But uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that, that, that's uh, added to my enjoyment of this Monday morning. Sure. Mm. I mean, like we said, it's a great weekend. But anyway, let's have a, a, a question proper. And this one comes from Spin Bowler on Twitter. And they say, is our running more difficult than people think? We play a lot of tricky sides away and we don't have a great record on the road. That is the tricky part rather than the the opposition, you know? Um mm. Our record away from home is not great. No. At home, we have shown that we're more than capable of beating most of the teams that we're facing in the run-in. So it feels like it's a bit of a, a psychological block more than a team quality or individual quality kind of a thing, you know? And yeah. I, I think as well, part of it is a hangover from last season to an extent, because last season was so bad, so bad away from home that we don't really have the belief when we're on the road to get the kind of results that we should get. So, look, if you ask me now, would I rather play Leicester away, Wolves away, Everton away, than having to deal with games against the other top six, even with our record on the road, I'd still say yes. I'd rather play the teams we're playing, whether it's home and away, than playing some of the bigger sides. So, so there we go. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at our home and away results this season uh, so far. We've played 16 home games, of which we've won 13, with a goal difference of plus 25. I mean, it's a really good record. Away from home, 14 played in the Premier League, mm. only five wins four draws, five losses. And it was yeah. quite remarkable as well. We look at the goals against Colin, we've conceded 12 at the Emirates Stadium and 27 away from it. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we, have, we haven't we have been great on the road and we're a very different outfit. Um, 
the th- we've got three home games left, which are Newcastle, Palace and Brighton. And I feel pretty confident about those. It is it is those away games that, that give you pause of thought. I think it is uh, probably trickier than many people surmise. But I think also, when I think back to us doing our predictions, I think kind of everybody's running is a bit trickier than, mm. than maybe we've expected. And, you know, neither of us predicted Chelsea to draw with Wolves. Neither of us predicted Spurs to lose to Southampton. Yeah. Um, so I suspect we're not going to go on a clean sweep and sort of win, you know, eight games on the bounce. But I don't think anybody is at this point. Yeah, I do wonder if it might be, you know, we look at it and think we need to take, you know, almost maximum points. But I wonder if that's the case, given some of the fixtures that the other teams have. Um, yeah. I'll just point out that I predicted a win over Spurs and a draw against United and they were the other way around. So um, I'm, two points up, I'm two points up on you. I, I predicted four points from those two games, which is what we got. Um, I will post a, a screenshot of our, our spreadsheet, our prediction spreadsheet on the site today. So if you want to check out uh, the predictions that we made, just go to arsblog.com and look for the post, uh, which has today's podcast on it and you'll see the uh, the spreadsheet with our predictions on it and uh, hopefully we continue to be more wrong about the opposition or about United, Chelsea and Tottenham than we are about uh, Arsenal. That would be good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, But yes, essentially I do think our, our running is probably trickier than we think and I'm sure we'll make it so but I think everyone else will drop points too so we're, we're still in a very strong position right now and I'm clinging to the dream of Spurs not making the Champions League and, I, and I, it feels plausible it really does feel plausible it does it didn't a few weeks ago and it certainly does now so long may their their trials and tribulations continue mm. um, and then you know when Harry Redknapp takes over again next season there's only one way it's going so, Absolutely. Yeah, they need a wheeler dealer, you know, to get some players in <laughs> in the transfer market when Pochettino goes to Real Madrid or Manchester United, and uh, you know they've got all this uh, stadium to deal with and all the restrictions that's going to place on them financially. Harry Redknapp, he's the man. He can wheel and deal. Absolutely. His, yeah, Can't his, wait to see it happen. From his dog's bank account or whatever it was. Um, okay, this is a question from Jared on Twitter, at Jude That Dude. And he says, Shaka bossed Pogba, in brackets, again. Is he actually good? <laughs> uh, I think he is what we think he is, isn't he? Like, he, he is a good footballer who is capable of having some very good games, um, but who is undermined by some bad moments. And actually, I thought in the course of this week, we saw quite a lot of uh, the sort of spectrum of Shaka. You know, I thought he started well against Wren, was spreading the play brilliantly and controlling the ball. Then when we went down to 10 men, he was kind of all over the place, resorted to kicking people. And then against United, suddenly he looks... uh, like a dominant central midfielder again. And I'm sure in his next game, he'll pass it to an opposition player 12 mm. yards from his own goal. I mean, that is kind of the Shaka issue. And I think that's sort of where we are as a club, is that we have players who are nearly really good. and Nearly really good, yeah. Yeah, and that's sort of what we are. You know, we're a, a Europa League team pushing to be in the Champions League. It would be quite weird if we had 11 world-class players who never made a mistake. Um well, we wouldn't be where we are. 
And I, I just sort of think <laughs> there is a kind of, I think it's kind of a, a tendency because we have had such great players, particularly in the last sort of 20 years and under Arsene Wenger with the Invincibles, that we, we're always looking to sort of label someone world-class. Like I've seen a lot of that around with Bern Leno. Today. Is Bern Leno world-class? Yeah. And I sort of think those justifications and those distinctions sort of belong to a different time. They sort of belong to when we were when we were winning the league and we're thinking, well, what else can we claim about this team? And, and we can sort of, you know, pin those badges on people. Whereas now I sort of think that's just not the level we're at. And it mm. doesn't mean Shaka's not good and it doesn't mean he's not useful and it doesn't mean he's not one of the best players we could get in that position. But it doesn't mean that he's not flawed either. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, he he is sometimes really good and other times he's really bad. And most yeah. of the time, he's quite good. Yeah. And, and, and I sort of think that's kind of true of quite a lot of our players, and that's that's okay. Like, you know, there is a need almost to sort of put him in one pole or the other. Uh, but the truth is he kind of oscillates a bit between. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, it's easy to remember the frustrations with players as well, and when they do things true. or they don't seem to learn from them. Um, and and you wonder, is that just who this guy is? Is he always going to make that kind of mistake? And maybe that's what Jacket is. How old is he now? 26, I guess. Something like that, yeah. Um, yeah, so... 26, I, indeed. 26, yeah. you know. So, I mean, there is still scope for improvement at 26 years of age. I mean, most players are in their their best years between 25 and 30. So... It is possible he could improve. You know, you see the way he played yesterday and you think, oh man, if he could do that every week, you know, we'd be a much better team. But maybe if he could do that every week, he wouldn't be at a club like Arsenal right now. Mm-hmm. So yeah. so he is what he is and we are what we are. And we're just going to have to 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 live with that and um, enjoy each other's flaws and failings, I guess, along the way. Exactly. You know, if we were perfect, we'd be podcasting about Real Madrid or whoever it is. You know, mm. um, but we're not. We're here, and I and I, uh, I think, I think you're right. Sometimes the negatives get highlighted more than the positives, and so a player can have five good games and they're forgotten in the broader context. Yeah. And I think Shaka is sometimes a bit vulnerable to that, uh, and I think it's worth saying when he was. Excellent. I thought he really was against Manchester United. I don't think it means that because he's had a good performance, he's sort of reached a level where the mistakes won't happen. I just sort of mm. think they're kind of endemic to his nature. But you've got to accept the player for, for what he is. Yeah. Um, let's have this question. This is from Scott, who's at Scott 967 I don't know if that number has some emotional significance for him or that's just the 900 and nine millionth Scott or whatever it is who signed up for Who knows? Who knows? But Scott says, do you think there is a chance that Meza Ozil will be an Arsenal player next season now that it seems like bridges are being built between him and Emery? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I suppose because, you know, underlying it all is the difficulty of moving a player like Meza Ozil on at this point in his career. Mm. You know, how many times have we spoken about the the potential destinations for him are so limited simply because of how much money he earns. Mm. Um, so it is absolutely possible. We know he likes it in London, wants to stay. 
Um, I think what we've seen in recent weeks is a better Mesut Ozil than we have at times throughout this season where he's available. Something Emery quite pointedly remarked on, didn't he, in in the wake of... You know the, the the bit of a, a brouhaha about him a couple of weeks ago. You know he's yeah. he spoke about how he needs to be available, and if he's available, you know we're a better team with Mesut Ozil in it. And if what's happened between Ozil and Emery is making Ozil more focused, which I think he is. I mean, yesterday he challenged for headers. He, I mean, he didn't. He didn't just do that thing where he stands there, waits for the ball to come, and waits for the man to come, and then kind of sticks his arse out and backs into the man trying to challenge for the header. He actually jumped for headers, mm. and I do hope. I mean, I can't say with any certainty that this is who Ozil is going to be from now on, but I think there is a, a bit more focus from him. And if what's gone on behind the scenes hasn't been pleasant for anybody, but if it has created a reaction in Ozil, which A, has made him available again and fit again, but also more willing to slot into the team the way the manager wants, you know, maybe it's taken a little bit for Ozil to come to terms with the fact that he's dealing with a manager who isn't just going to pick him because he's Mesut Ozil. He's going to pick him when he thinks that Mesut Ozil can make a contribution in a game. Mm. Yeah, so, and I, I think that relationship is being repaired steadily as well. You know, I mean, I, mean, I almost thought against Ren that Ozil was sort of left on too long. You know that. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, that it almost felt like uh, Emery was kind of reluctant to to risk damaging that relationship. But you know, when he came off against United, there was a. Emery made a point, he actually left his technical area to go and greet Ozil, give him a high five. And it's only a few weeks ago that they were sort of not making eye contact with each other in that situation. Yeah. And uh, it does feel positive. I thought Ozil did a lot of good work off the ball yesterday. You know, customarily you think of him looking left and right at all times, looking for a pass. But when he didn't have the ball, he was constantly looking for where Matic was and where Fred was and trying to shut down the space and shut down the passing alleys. And that won't go unnoticed from Emery. I, I'm sure that, you know, that's stuff they've spoken about behind the scenes all season long and now we're actually seeing it put into place. Yeah. And also it shouldn't be the kind of work that is beneath him. You know, nobody's saying Mesut Ozil has to be uh, a hard tackling, running up and down the pitch like a madman yeah. kind of player. But he can still contribute. It's well within his capability to contribute, even if it is, as you say, just being aware of where the ball is and where players are and cutting out passing lanes. He doesn't have mm. to go diving in or, or you know, chopping players down or, or slide tackling all over the place. That's not what anybody expects from him. But, you know, a bit more in terms of positional discipline or organization. Mm is you know it's not too much to ask of yeah, a player just being switched on and you know in his darkest days i think we both remember probably the the man city games last season back to back when it was the league cup final in mm. the emirates stadium when he was sort of strolling around on the halfway line and that's not what we saw against manchester united and i think if he continues to produce performances like that uh then emery will 
find a place for him. And do I think he'll be here next season? I think on balance, I think it feels more likely than not, just because I think moving him on is laced with so many difficulties anyway. Yeah. I guess it really depends on how how badly Arsenal want to free up those wages. Yeah. And realistically, what kind of role Emery sees Ozil having next season, mm. you know? If he sees him as a, you know, a first-team player and somebody who he really feels can contribute week in, week out, you know, you can't have a £350,000-a-week player who doesn't play in away games. You just can't do it. It's not, it's not uh, sustainable. No. But if Emery feels like this these kind of performances from Ozil make him a potential candidate to play in those games. I mean, even just saying it out loud is mental, isn't it? You know, uh, you know, a 30-year-old player, you know, who's on that much money, can you play him in away games? You know, it, it's mental. It is mental. So uh, I guess much will depend on what happens um, between now and, and the end of the season as well. So, but yeah, it's certainly not impossible that he'll be here. So, yeah. We'll have to wait and see. Is it my question? It is. Okay, Magnus Holmberg, at Magnus underscore Holmberg. Why are our performances varying so much in quality recently? Losing to Bate and ran away, but almost beating Spurs and now beating Manchester United? Uh, I don't think they are that varying, if I'm honest. Uh, that might be a controversial opinion. But if I look at those three games, I think the results vary much more than the performance. Uh, I think Rennes was was poor in some respects, but I'm not sure it's sort of... I didn't think, oh, the team have completely lost the plot. And certainly when we had 11 men on the pitch, I thought there was enough encouragement there that I thought, OK, well, the positive signs I've seen in recent weeks mm. were still kind of continued. Um, and I think that... We results are what sort of mean something to us, and so we sort of define our interpretation of the games by them. But they are like like if if the United game had been a draw, I don't think anyone could have said, "Well, that's an unfair result." Um, and similarly, if we'd beaten Spurs, people said, "Well, that's justified too." You know, it is so close at this level that I kind of think we're slightly more consistent than the variation across those three results would make us appear. Do you think it's something to do with the margin of the games? Like, we're not winning a lot of games 4-5-0 or anything no. like that. So Bournemouth, you know, and Fulham stand out sure. in that respect. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. We're not sort of... We're not dominating these games and there's absolutely no question of it. Uh but then, you know, Spurs and United are really tough opponents and that never happens against them anyway. I think had we kept 11 men against Ren, it wouldn't have surprised me if we'd won that game by mm. two or three goals away from home. Um, mm. I really, really thought we looked like we were going to take them apart in that first 20 minutes. And of course, we don't know how that would have panned out. But, um, I, but you know, I so yeah, I, I don't think we are as... Variant. I mean, we do seem to have an issue home and away. Mm. And when you look at the league table and look at our fixtures at home and away, as we did a little bit earlier on, that is a stark contrast and that is a bit concerning mm. because, you know, logically there's sort of no real reason for it. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I don't know. What do you have you got a response to the question? I just think it goes back to maybe the Xhaka thing when we talk about him and the performances that he can put in. You know, they're varied, and I think there there are players across this team, even some of our important players, who's whose performances vary. Therefore, I think it has an impact on the way that the team performs, mm. uh, you know, tied in with the margin of some of the results. You know, we haven't... Have we been beaten massively this season apart from the Liverpool game? I don't think so. So even our defeats are sort of by the odd goal, aren't they? You know? Yeah, I mean, even the Man City game away, it was only sort of 3-1, you know, and, and the first half I thought was tight-ish, you know? Mm. So, you know, we're not... I think it's just being the the wrong side of that tight margin. Um, Yeah. And we, you know, we'd be talking perhaps differently about, you know, you think about the unbeaten run and we talked at the time about how performances weren't necessarily correlating with results, but, you know, I think it is just who we are, to be honest. Um, I've got one here, or do you want to do one? Uh, This is just sort of a a quick one. It's from, I always pronounce this name wrong. They've asked questions before. I think it's Gio Gange on Twitter. Uh, and they say, you've spoken about Kolasinac's... Why, why are you laughing? Because I've made that so such an appalling attempt. Yeah. If yeah. I if it's the... Per, uh, Gagan J. Yeah. Gagan, Gagan. Is the, Gagan is the surname. It's an Irish surname. And J, I presume the first... I prefer Giogan. Giogan. Gagan J. Gagan J. Jay Gagan. And uh, they say, you've spoken about Kalasnach's passing actually in the past, and I thought he played very well yesterday, mm. but will he be disappointed that he failed to hit Ashley Young's mouth with his vomit? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was hoping for, you know, either Ashley Young or John Moss. Um, sure. That was some that was some was projectile stuff. Top class vomiting. It really was. Um, yeah. well, he just, I think he got tackled up in the air, sat down on the pitch, went, Bleh! that was good. Um, I've been there, man. I've been there. You vomited on a football pitch? I've vomited, uh, I have actually, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, just from being unfit, I mean, I'm not saying he's unfit, I'm saying that he exerted himself mm. to his maximum capacity. I remember. I will say actually, go on, go on. just quickly, his passing accuracy was, I think, the second highest among the Arsenal players after Granite Xhaka. I think he had the second highest amount of completed passes or highest ratio or something like that. So credit to him, he's improving in that regard. Yeah, I thought he was very good yesterday. Um, Defensively, very good as well. And I think I had another question here on a similar um, note from somebody... Um, It was from Philip Mann, who's at Hoisin Crispy Yo. Crispy Owl, maybe. Hoisin Crispy Owl, O-W-1. Maybe maybe he likes to eat owl in duck sauce. Anyway, who knows? He says, is the performance of Kalasinac in recent weeks likely to prompt a rethink of summer transfer priorities, given he's beginning to show he can thrive in the Premier League? I think wing-back is a role which really suits him. Um... I thought he was very good again yesterday. Some of his crossing from the left-hand side was wicked. Uh, Gary Neville was like, ooh, that's a good cross very early on in the game. Um, mm, there were a couple of great ones, weren't there? Yeah, in the first time. There really were. But yeah, I, I think he will obviously be um, unhappy that he didn't vomit in, in Ashley Young's mouth. But he would, of course, have to have been airborne in order to do that. And, you know, that's probably Kalasinac's biggest flaw is that he does not have wings. 
and therefore can't fly in order to um, leave his waste in Ashley Young's mouth. Um, I was going to say something else there about Kalasinac. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Can I just take a moment to share my appreciation for the yellow card that he picked up late in the game? Oh, when Manchester United were trying to break from their own box and he just literally put his entire bulk in the way of whoever the fuck it was, I can't remember, one of the most cynical tackles that you will ever see, and I fucking loved it. I yeah. loved it. It was brilliant. And I tell you, Unai Emery was applauding that yellow card very heartily on the sidelines. Was he, uh, yeah? He, yeah, he enjoyed it as well. I think he knew exactly what was happening there. I thought Kalas was really good. In fact, when we finished the game with Kalasinac and Awobi on our left flank, I was looking at it thinking, like, these guys are massive. I mean, mm. you know, for a team that's sort of thought of as not particularly physically robust historically, I was looking at that wing and thinking, God, you wouldn't want to be up against these two. I mean, the way Awobi's filled out, Kalasinac's size too. And they can sort of almost hold the ball, can't they, in that part of the pitch? You know, they're both mm. capable of carrying it and dribbling with it. Uh, and I think there is a very good chance that left-back is something that is a relegated a bit down our priorities in the summer. Um, I've mentioned that on here a couple of times. I just think if Monreal has signed a one-year extension and with Kalasnach doing as well as he's doing, I just think there might be other priorities mm. in the summer. But we, uh, it, it, a lot depends on on how much money we've got, you know. Yep, yep. Josh Kroenke's in town, actually. Did you see that, Josh Kroenke? Yes, there was a question. Dale Bennett said, have you seen this about Josh Kroenke meeting the Arsenal fans? Sound positive or is it hot air? I guess it's a positive. I I mean, I don't really know what was said. I saw uh, Akil um, Mm. say, uh, I can't remember his Twitter handle, sorry, mate. It's something like at 10 Akil. Um, Let me just see. Yep. At 10, Akil, that's it. He was at the, uh, it was a fans forum kind of thing, wasn't it? One of those um, meetings where, where other people are involved and he said, look, he seemed fairly open and honest. Uh, you know, we don't know what was said and it's very early days to to make any definitive judgments, but the simple fact that he was there and willing to talk to fans and meet fans it can't be anything other than a positive development. You know, because the Cronkies, and in particular Stan, have been so far removed from what goes on at the club in general that if there is some attempt to build some bridges or, or open up some communication li- uh, li- lines, lanes, loons, 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 whatever, you know, we can't criticise that because it's one of the things that we have wanted from them. So... I can't say with any surety as to what was said or how it was said, but the simple fact that it happens is a small step in in the right direction. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, we're right to kind of place our hopes in Josh rather than Stan because he is Mm. the man for the future and the man who's likely to be more engaged and who, of course, was actually spending some time here last year. Yeah, and he'd probably be alive longer as well. Well, that's a, yeah, a big factor. Uh, so, look, I mean, you can't on the one hand say, oh, I'm not happy about sort of absentee owners, and then on the other hand, not be pleased when one actually mm. turns up and talks to some supporters. I mean, that's definitely a, a positive step. OK, uh, here is one from Dazzy Pepper uh, talking about cynical fouls and stuff. And he said, when chips are down, this is from Discord. He says, when chips are down and a big game calls for maturity, uh, you know, running down the clock, being smart in position, you can usually count on Arsenal to defend like stupid cunts. 
perhaps a little harsh. Uh, he said, yesterday we didn't. We defended like very smart cunts uh, by mm. time-wasting, defending compactly and making good challenges. Some might see this change as controversial, but I think it's high time that we try not doing dumb shit when we see a game out. Can we expect this behavior to continue? And I did like this question in uh, coming, what, three days after we did some amazingly dumb shit to allow Ren to score their third goal in the yeah. Europa League. Yeah, and, and you know, if Fleno doesn't make a great save from Lukaku in the second half, are we sitting here saying, why does Morreau step up and Koscielny not step up? The defensive line are a mess. You know, it's... Mm. it's. Uh, I still think we are defensively vulnerable. And I know United are a good attacking team and I know they've got good attacking players, but... They'd created a good deal of chances against us and I think pretty much everyone will get at least a couple of chances. Um, so I'm not quite in a place of sort of celebrating our organisation and our you know defensive notion. What I will say is that we look committed and we looked resolute and I thought we showed a lot of character. I thought in some ways we showed more character than quality against United and... That's all right with me. I think that when it gets to this point in the season, a lot of the time that's sort of what you require. Mm. But the defence to me is still a massive work in progress and has to be kind of the focus of, of Unai Emery's summer of work once again. Mm. And I almost feel like he almost is just trying to get to the summer now by hook or by crook. And then he's going to have to look at the problem uh, properly because it's still very much there. Yeah, look, I mean, the one thing I would say is that I love it when we do cynical stuff. Love oh, it. Oh, me too, yeah. You know, I think it is, uh, as as much as people might say, well, that's not really football, eh, stick that up your hole. Arsenal should be doing that stuff routinely. We should be taking yellow cards when we need to take yellow cards. There was one actually in the in the second half yesterday where it could have been Pogba went on a run, and I could see Xhaka weighing it up. I could see him going, should I, shouldn't I? And he sort of, uh, it it had gone too far for him to make the foul because it would have been a a free kick in a dangerous position. Whereas if he'd done it on halfway or inside the centre circle, you know, he, he would have given away a free kick and stopped that move. So I'm all for it. I'm all for the goalkeeper wasting time when we're ahead in a game like this because every other team will do it to us. You know, um... Be sensible, be cynical, don't do stupid things. I'm on board with all of that. You know, I think Clive on the Arsenal Vision podcast made a good point um, the other day, and it was quite succinct. He just said, players can be a bit thick sometimes. And mm. they can, and they get caught up in the moment. I do think there's it's an important part of the game to be able to spoil the opposition, you know, to frustrate them. And if everyone hates us for doing it, all the better. I'm even more on board with it then because I like that. I like when other fans or when we're criticised in the newspapers or by TV pundits, oh, look at this, that's terrible, you shouldn't do that, it's against the spirit of the game. Yeah, stick the spirit of the game up your hole as well. Uh, I want to see more of that from Arsenal because it is also a way of um, offsetting your defensive weaknesses in a way. You know, if you're if you're vulnerable uh, to balls coming into your box, make fouls high up the pitch and stop 
Absolutely. That, those attacks, if you're vulnerable to counterattacks, make fouls high up the pitch and don't allow the counterattacks. We were doing it quite a bit earlier in the season and then it seemed to fall away. And I don't quite know why. But, uh, you know, I would have at least one coaching session a week on how to make the opponents frustrated and, and when and where to make fouls and, and concede free kicks and how to do it and pull shirts, trip them up. I don't care. Just do mm. it. Stop the danger any way you can. I completely agree. And I think we did, you know, we mentioned that Kolasinac booking. There were a couple of moments like that yesterday which were encouraging. And, and you know, that can, I think, make a very good point about make the offence high up the pitch. You know, stop them progressing the ball, stop them mm. hurting us. Uh, and I think we could do better in that regard still. Um, we, ha- we have improved. We have improved in that way, but there's still yeah. a way to go as yet. Uh, this is a question from Announce Mbappe, who's at <laughs> Viva an optimistic. <laughs> yeah, they need to change that. That's probably been a while, their, their username. Um, on Twitter, and they ask, I've seen a few people kind of suggesting this. Would you bin the Europa League now we have top four in our hands? It's one of those questions where it's it's so difficult to answer because what what do we talk about a lot? We talk about confidence and we talk about momentum and we talk about um, wanting success for the club and wanting to achieve things. So I don't think you can in any way just sack off a, a competition, you know? I can see why people would think there might be a benefit to us if we go out of the Europa League because we can then just focus on our, our Premier League and not be distracted by midweek games and not be fatigued and all of those things. I can see that, but I don't think any manager or any club or any group of players can just say, let's not win this game. Like, do people yeah. really want us to go out against Wren on Thursday night and go through the motions and put in a, a, a flaccid, insipid performance just so we can go out of a competition to then focus on the Premier League? It's a trophy at the end of the day, or the end of the season, you know? The only one we can the still win. The only one we can win. So, no, I don't think we can. You, can. you can look at it objectively and say, it could be beneficial for us to go out, but in, under no circumstances can you make an active decision to 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 not win a game. I don't think I don't think that's acceptable. So no, no, I I agree. I think you've got to go for it. Um, I, I see the appeal that with almost certainly all the other top six teams having European campaigns to contend with, that if we were just directly focused on the Premier League. That might be a good thing, but given how tight it is, and you know we're not guaranteed top four by any stretch, uh, I think we've got to keep our options open. And I think, as you say, we've got to go for silverware. Uh, it's a competition that we can still win, and we should be pushing to do that. Mm. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be binning it off now. While we're on the subject, I mean, how are you feeling about... Uh, Thursday, do you feel confident? And and I, I guess I might as well ask what sort of team you'd pick to, to try and chase that. Chase more that lead. more confident than I was feeling, yeah. for sure. Um, I think again, play the strongest team we can. Back four. Um, I play a back four with Koscielny, Socrates, Kalasinac, and Maitland Niles. 
Uh, I think Torreira can come back into midfield because he's not suspended. Mm-hmm. Torreira and Xhaka. And then I'd overload again. I go, I try and play Ramsey Ozil, um, Aubameyang, and Lacazette. And um, yeah, just have a go. Have a right go. Uh, you can't play Lacazette. Oh, I can't play Lacazette, of course. So yeah, he's suspended. It won't be, I guess. It will be, yeah. But yeah. Sorry. But play the creative players if Mikatarian is back. Um, you know, just have a go, for fuck's sake. We're at home, we're playing Ren, a team who didn't look like they were going to threaten us greatly when we were playing with 11 versus 11. 10 versus 11 was a significant change, and we got it, you know, we got it wrong in how we dealt with that. But I don't see why we should be afraid. 2-0 at home is not um, is not an impossible scoreline. We've got a lot of strike power. I think go at them right from the start. Just go at them. Okay, yeah. sarah, sarah, and all that. David Prule, David Prule uh, underscore 33, asks, do you think there's any chance we see Leno play Thursday with the upcoming no. break? No. I think it'll okay. be Czech again. You know, I thought Czech was good against Wren, and I think Emery has made a commitment to play Czech in the Europa League. Whether he would play him in the final, if we got there, that's another question. And I, think- I had an interesting chat with someone uh, this week who does a lot of work with analytics on goalkeepers, and they said they can't believe Petr retiring. They said his numbers on his performances this season are uh, among the very, very best in the Premier League. And, uh, well, actually the best, according to them, for a lot of wow. categories. And they were like, it's really fascinating that he's chosen to retire so early. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I looked at him on the subs bench yesterday and I thought maybe he just doesn't enjoy this experience and he thinks if I can't be number one I'm not interested but then you see someone like Gigi Buffon in goal for PSG in the Champions League at 41 and you think he is he is stepping aside rather early I wonder how big a factor his injury you know his uh, fractured skull injury might be you know he was kind of lucky to play on at all arguably after that point and uh, maybe he's that's been a factor in him deciding to step aside. Exactly, and there might be also something physical that we're not aware of that he is coping with or dealing with that isn't necessarily public, that, Mm. you know, if he plays on much longer, he could do himself some damage down the line. So maybe he's, you know, being sensible rather than, uh, you know, he doesn't want to have a, like, hip replacement or a knee replacement, you know, in his 40s or something like that. So that could be a factor too. Um, I think the fact he, he, he knows... He's lost his place as Arsenal's number one, and maybe he doesn't want to go and play for a smaller club somewhere. Mm. Maybe he wants to just go out, you know, having played for um, the two biggest clubs in London, obviously Arsenal the biggest, um, and Chelsea, you know, second in that regard. So maybe he just doesn't want to take a step down in order to play. And also, you mentioned London there. When he came to leave Chelsea, he didn't want to leave London. When you have a family, you have a home, your kids are in schools, Yeah, maybe he's just like, look, I don't want to leave this city. This is where my life is now. And frankly, the thought of going to play for West Ham mm. is just utterly depressing or something like that. So, yeah, yeah, maybe that's that's it. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, I think it will be him as well. Okay, uh, a couple of quick ones just to finish. Uh, first one from... Megan Cantle at Megan Cantle 99 she wants to know what did you think of Dennis Suarez cameo yesterday uh, I didn't expect him to get on I mean it was funny I was looking at the bench and the first three players they sent out to warm up 
uh, I think it was like Iwobi, Mustafi and Genduzi, and I was like, yeah, they're the subs who will actually come on in this game, if anyone. I did not think Nketiah and Suarez or Elneny had any real chance. So I was surprised when Suarez came on, but I thought he looked a bit brighter. Um, I, I mean, it's incremental at this stage. Mm. I had a question from someone saying, when do I think he'll start a game? I mean, it is genuinely difficult to n- see because every game is so important now that if, you know, the likes of Mkhitaryan, Wobi, Ozil, Ramsey are fit, you just think they'd be in the pecking order ahead of him. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I hope he's making a good impression in training for his sake because that's sort of where where he's really getting a chance to shine. Mm. What did you make of him? All right. I mean, he didn't yeah. do anything particularly eye-catching. I think he made three passes. Um, you know, he had the energy to shuffle around the pitch and to 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 do what we were crediting Ozil with, for example, which is to cut yeah. off the passing lane. So he was bright. He looks a bit more um, at home a little bit. But, you know, like you say, it's incremental. There wasn't anything there that made me think, yes, he should start against Wren on Saturday or on no. Thursday, rather. So... Uh, okay, uh, final one, I guess, um, and it's on a serious note. This comes from Dan Ricketts, who is DJR1970, and he says, uh, on a serious note, do you think that Arsenal will receive punishment for the complete bell end who ran on the pitch and shoved Smalling? He's been arrested and charged with the same offence as the bloke who hit Jack Grealish, uh, which if you didn't see, I'm sure everybody's mm-hmm. seen anyway, in the Birmingham Derby, some fucking idiot came on and, and tried to tried to punch Jack Grealish in the side of the head. I think he I think he's such a fucking idiot he missed. I know he caught him with like his the inside of his forearm, but he missed him with his fist, which is really lucky for Jack Grealish because yeah. um that could have been very, very serious. Uh and he's rightly been arrested and banned. But I think the same thing will happen to the to the Arsenal fan. He is uh he's gonna be banned from from the club home and away. Yeah, and did you see the steward at the Birmingham game? That yeah. was the strangest element of that whole story, who I think got, uh, yeah, got. I think he got arrested maybe as well for sort of going after Grealish. We had questions about this from Matt Gooner and Gab on the Discord as well, so thanks for submitting them there. I, it's a, a bit of a stain on the game, I guess. You know, it's a really idiotic thing of this particular individual to do. The only thing I can think is, is this person an Arsenal fan? Would you really run the risk of getting yourself banned for life from the stadium of the club you love to do this? Now, maybe uh, he was just pissed and a fucking moron. I, you know, those two yeah. things go quite well together, so... Yeah, there's people, you know, very intoxicated at football games, uh, behaving in stupid fashion. I mean, look, obviously... Did you see, I think it was the FA, or someone put out a statement saying, uh, we condone this behaviour when they meant to say condemn. Oh, no, really? Yeah. (laughs) I think I've done it before myself. It's an easy mistake to make. But, um, yeah, obviously, you've got to condemn it. It's complete idiocy. And I I think... I don't think that there'll be a kind of points punishment. I was listening to Five Live last night and Chris Sutton was on there, so it was a difficult listen. Um, (laughs) It was his birthday yesterday, so I'm not going to be as cruel as I normally would be about Chris Sutton. Why, just because it's his birthday? (laughs) Who gives a fuck if it's his birthday or his christening or a fucking Holy Communion? Who cares? Yeah, well, they were chatting about if there should be points... Uh, punishments for these mm. kinds of offences. And they were like, it would stop straight away. Fans would, 
you know, not want to see their team suffer. So it's dropped straight away. First of all, I think if you're stupid enough to do that, I think you're sort of stupid enough to do it, whatever the consequence. I don't think points would be a huge mm. dissuasion factor. I it's think. also open to a bit of abuse as well, isn't it? That well, I could go in the Tottenham end, couldn't I, and just run on to every game, exactly. And yeah. everyone would be going, that guy, he looks like, that looks like Gunner Block. <laughs> he keeps whacking um, people. Uh, I mean, I just think... I don't know what I think about it. I don't think it's, like, indicative of some sort of societal catastrophe. I just think it's idiots who are getting probably more attention now because social media exists. You know, if that thing with Birmingham Villa happened 20 years ago, we probably mm. wouldn't even know about it. Um, it's just unfortunate these things get amplified. Yeah, I mean, I think people need to remember there's a very good reason why football stadiums in England don't have fences, mm. you know? Um, yeah, true. And there's a responsibility on everybody's shoulders um, to ensure that uh, that remains the case. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I, I see what you mean about points deductions. It strikes me that it is a real deterrent, but it would it would have to depend on the seriousness of the of the incident as well. You know, that you could fine a club, you could make them play a game behind closed doors, which is another issue, isn't it? Because then you're punishing every other fan, mm. not necessarily the person who who made that mistake, who made that mistake, that's not a mistake, um, you know, who, who behaved that way, um, that idiotically. But maybe that's what it might take is that if someone runs on the pitch and all of a sudden they become persona non grata amongst the rest of the fans because their team is denied a game at home, nobody can go see it, people have paid for their tickets, you're not going to be the most popular guy around, are you? So whether you can have some sort of impact that way, I guess you just have to put your faith in people to not be stupid fucking assholes, which is a lot to ask, I realise, um, yeah, but hopefully it's <laughs> hopefully it's just a you know a, a one or two off this weekend, and it's not something we see repeated um, any further uh, throughout this season. Yeah, I think part of the issue with the Grealish incident was that when the Birmingham fan was led away, you know he was getting a pretty good ovation mm. from some of the other Birmingham fans, and I think that's where you know there are always going to be a minority of real idiots doing something stupid. But I think the rest of the supporters can probably take it upon themselves to sort of admonish that sort of behaviour rather than applaud it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I guess. But people and football and, you know, how, know. How, yeah. how factions are and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What do you do with the guy, the Jack Grealish guy? I don't know, but Jack Grealish took the ultimate revenge, didn't he? He, he did. And he said it was the best day of his life, so <laughs> fair well, place. There you go. I mean, that's that's the right way to exact revenge, is to score the winner apart in, from, in a game. Yeah, apart from the last transfer deadline day, I guess, where he didn't have to sign for Spurs, that that was probably the real best day of his life. Yeah, exactly. In time, he'll look back on that as, <laughs> as a real escape. OK, look, we're going to leave it there. Um, thank you, as ever, for listening. We will be back on Friday with a post-Ren Arscast uh, as well. We won't have a Premier League game to look forward to, but we'll have a, a podcast this weekend too. Uh, so until the next one, take it easy. Bye-bye. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.